You are listening to Ayahuasca Talks, and I am your host, Rebecca Hayden. If you enjoy this program, please support it by becoming a patron for only $1 per month. Becoming a patron will not only ensure that this podcast continues, it will grant you membership to an exclusive Facebook group that will allow you to connect with other listeners and continue the conversation. For more details, please visit ayahuascatalks.love and click on the green Become a Patron button in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage. This will provide you with more information and an opportunity to contribute. For more ayahuasca integration content, please visit RebeccaHayden.com. And to connect with me directly, please email Rebecca.Hayden at gmail.com. Welcome to another edition of Ayahuasca Talks, uh, and today we have Carlos Tanner with us. Carlos is the program director at uh, Ayahuasca Foundation Retreats, and it's such a pleasure to have you back on the show, Carlos. It's great to be here again. Thanks for having me, Rebecca. So um, I have been listening to your videos, watching them on YouTube, and you have uh, brought up some really wonderful topics, topics that um, I love particularly because, um, you know, some of them pertain to this intimate relationship that we have with these plant medicines and those of us who have uh, really been, you know, delving deep into those relationships. Um, uh, very interesting things emerge, and uh, and I, I look so forward to talking to you uh, about those things today. Um, I think one of the first things that uh, struck me is um, when you mentioned about children and uh, relationships and uh, perspective, and and you wish that we were teaching this in schools today. I I couldn't agree with you more. Um, through experiences with plant medicines, we really learn to take a step back and understand that everybody's coming from, you know, a different angle, a different perspective. And when we can see that and, and, and master that, it's, it's amazing. It's an amazing thing. And our relationships flow a lot better. I definitely agree. Um, I know, you know, I moved to Iquitos, Peru, um, 17 years ago. And when I moved, I was coming from a very uh, distinct understanding of the world, a very distinct perspective. Uh, a term that best describes it literally is paradigm. And so I was coming from a very Western paradigm. You could describe it as like a materialist paradigm or Western scientific paradigm. And I moved to begin studying ayahuasca with my teacher. I moved into his house and immediately was struck with a very different paradigm, a very different reality based on the perspectives and the belief systems that were held by the people in that area in the Amazon rainforest. And, and so right off the bat, I was presented with like a separate reality and had to try to use my Western faculties, my Westernized perspective to make sense of these. And it took quite a long time. Like it, it, it's not something that you can just uh, handle because the way that you think is essentially built into your personal paradigm. Mm -hmm. and, and so most people in, in the relationships don't come from such distinct separate realities but they all still come from separate perspectives. And so there's always so much to be gained from 
an understanding and an openness to a different way of looking at things. Mm-hmm. Um, but within the world of ayahuasca, they, they view things in an incredibly different way. And, and the word paradigm, I don't think I even learned the word paradigm until after I was 18 years old. Like, I think I learned that word in college. And so if we were to teach the, just that word and its meaning and have a simple discussion about it with children who are young, I think that we could have them grow up to be much more tolerant of one another and be willing to work together in a way that as adults, we still have not seemed to figure out. Yeah. And, and we're the ones teaching them, you know, and that's, that's the thing. Um, I think that we talked about this before. Um, the relationships that we have with the plant medicines, um, some of us that, that really work that relationship, um, we uh, discover a very different way of, of being in a relationship. And, and I, I think that there's no, uh, once you, you know, do get into that deep relationship with the medicine, you can't help but see there's a reason why we regard them as parental figures because um, all of us seem like children uh, in the face of this incredible wisdom, you know, and, and we are just all children trying to figure it out, right? Totally. I mean, just uh, biologically speaking, like plants have been here for at least hundreds of millions of years. Some people suggest that perhaps a billion years and humans have been here kind of like a blink of an eye by comparison. So our species is just a little babe on this planet compared to the plants. Oh my God. Yeah. Um, so I, I think that most people listening to this show, um, kind of know my story. Um, that relationship, uh, began for me in Peru. Um, and I had to come back. I, I wanted to, I was invited by the medicines to continue to work with them. Um, and my reaction was, oh my God, I, I've just started this. I don't know what I'm doing with it. I've just barely begun. And I got to go home because I got a very young son in Canada. I got to return, you know. And and there was this response of, yeah, that's fine. We're, we're going to come with you. And and I didn't realize, of course, I ended up with this daily dialogue, which is wonderful. Um, very challenging, and but very wonderful. And um and so I am continuing to learn. And so is my son. Like the relationship that I have with my son uh, has improved tenfold and continues to. So thank God he's learning with me now. And I, I, I'm very open with him about all that. I said, look, we're just learning together, you know, when we have difficulties and, and, and learning to, to work through them very differently than, you know, than I would have done before I, I started to work with the medicines. It's a very interesting project, and I think, wow, the value of this, you know, to take this into schools and to really open up and start to understand relationships, it's of the utmost importance in our lives. Uh, Definitely. I can definitely uh, feel for you and relate to being a parent who also has a background in plant medicine, uh, especially when working with ayahuasca where plant spirits are so prevalent and so real uh, in the truest sense of the word. And um, it has certainly um, presented some interesting experiences and conversations with my daughter. Uh, (laughs) You know, her uh, at one point talking about Tinkerbell and fairies and apparently someone at her school told her that fairies did not exist 
and I wasn't going to, you know, hide my own personal experiences. I have had experiences with fairies, and to be quite honest, I do believe in them. And I can't not believe in them because of my personal experiences with them. Of course, they were also involving the use of ayahuasca. But yeah, that was an interesting conversation to have with my daughter where me, a 40 year, an adult in my 40s, uh, defending the reality of fairies. <laughs> it's fabulous. I love it. I mean, this world is changing in phenomenal ways. I'm so glad you brought that up because... I, I talked to Evan about spirits because I, I have interactions with them. Um, I'm so glad we're, we're able to discuss this on a shamanic level because, I mean, you know, um, we've got to come out with it. This is really part of our experiences and, and this is us being authentic. And, and I think that that's a healthy thing. Um, and yeah, he goes to school and he says, you know, other people don't believe in that. And I said, that's fine. You know, I mean, the only reason I do is because I've had, interactions with them i've i've had the experience if i hadn't i don't think i would either so it's it's totally cool you know it's really fine what people believe in what they don't you know you have to figure out what you believe yeah that's uh i mean i think that's really the joy of getting to learn from children and you know the the lessons that they demonstrate as they put together their own personal view of what this world is, what life is, and in observing their attempts and, and their creative ability to put pieces together in a way that I don't often imagine, it stimulates my own imagination and my own like innocence and my own freedom to look at the world in a different way and in, in a way that I might not have looked at before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we we do dream work. I, I've encouraged Evan to do it, but you know, it's up to him. Of course, it always has to be a personal choice. Um, but I do it a lot, and and I know that the morning is the time when these messages come through really um, strongly. And I remember um, one morning, uh, this message came through so strongly about him and I, and uh, it was just that I come from an orientation of wonder. And my son comes from an orientation of joy. That's his center. And with me, it's wonder. And I know you and I were talking earlier about how for children, this world is just such a wonderful place. And it's so nice to be able to return to that state of wonder with, with a child because that's just their normal. That's how they see the world every single day, right? Oh, totally. Uh, I'm not sure if you've, you, are you familiar with Stephen Herod Buner? And oh, he's, uh, I mean, I definitely don't like the word guru, but I think (laughs) it might actually fit for him. He's a a plant consciousness guru. Um, He's an American, but he has written some really incredible books, including his most recent book, which is called Plant Intelligence and the Imaginal Realm. Just from the title, you can kind of get a feel for how cool a book that is. Um, But he talks about an exercise that we can do that can help to remove the blinders that have been slowly gathering on our perspectives thanks to the conditioning of our environments and view the world as the innocent child that we once were. And so we visualize ourselves as a child 
um, around five or six years old. And then we step behind that child and essentially put our head into the head of that child so that our own eyes begin to look at the world through the eyes of how we saw things when we were a child. And in doing so, we essentially remove the conditioning that has caused us to forget how incredible the world is and has caused us to replace wonder with the idea of explanation and the uh, naming of things to, Mm -hmm. you know, to fade away into the mystery of reality. And, and in so doing, we enable ourselves to make a much closer connection and more intimate connection to nature. Right. And this mystery, you know, we all, I think, are very attracted to the idea of mystery, but then you always want to solve it. Like this has been an ongoing, interesting observation of mine since this very beginning of this dialogue and relationship is, you know, at the beginning, I just wanted to know everything. And then I had to quickly come to terms with the fact that that was not going to happen. And (laughs) um, in terms of where my focus had to be every day anyway, I think underneath it all, we do have that access, but it's like, this is the experience we're meant to have. And in this experience, there are certain priorities and, and I trusted the medicines to, to, to show me what they were. And, and they certainly did, but yeah, um, it's, it's, we, we still want there to be mystery, even though we tend to want to solve it. Right. Well, we can never, I mean, we can only solve like some superficial, like on the surface uh, understanding of it, but no one will ever be able to explain how you can plant a seed and it will grow into a tree. You know, it's, it really just is magic. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, this is true. You know, you can, you can look inside with a high powered microscope into that seed all you want, but you're never going to find the tree and the tree grows from some real incredible magic. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could maybe call it morphogenetic fields or, you know, morphic resonance or something of that nature, which are definitely great attempts to understand it. But also with our own children, we saw that magic and we witnessed and experienced it. You carried that child in your own womb and it developed from the tiniest little nothing into the most incredible thing, you know, and, and then all you really have to say is consciousness and there is just no explanations. So yeah, I, I asked about this a lot at the beginning because, you know, I, I was a, a little bit intimidated uh, and, and conditioned to, um, to rely on science. I was intimidated by it because I'm not a scientifically minded person. And yet I realized that, you know, most of what we consider that is known in this society, in this world, um, is, is due to science. And then when I started questioning some of that through this relationship with the medicines, um, the response was, most of it's description. It doesn't really answer anything. Exactly. And that, that was an amazing discovery, you know. It was, it was actually really uh, helping me, you know, because it was almost, and I, I was surprised at my reaction. It was a big relief 
you know, and I don't, I don't still understand that fully, but it was great. It was like a letting go and, and acknowledging, you know, that, that there, that a mystery is really all around us and when we can study it all we like, but you're right. We don't always get to the bottom of it. We don't always get to the answer of it. That's the big question, right? Well, descriptions are very, very helpful. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and science has done wonders in enabling us to do things. Like I think that there's, you know, wonderful purpose. Obviously, if you understand the process of conception to a certain degree, if you have it described to you well enough, then you can conceive a child. You know, that's an important thing to be able to do. And it does require a a certain level of understanding and description for you to be able to do it. You know, growing a tree, there are, there are elements of, of descriptive understanding that allow us to make a, a soil that will take a seed and to have that seed grow into a tree and the things that we can do to have it grow the best it can grow. And, you know, all of that I think has real, real purpose, sure. but underneath all of it will always be the most incredible mystery that no one can answer. And, and that is what we are made of. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what children are always looking at. And the, I think that the trouble of what happens in our attempts to provide the description is that sometimes, or rather oftentimes, we end up erasing the mystery and in the process of the description or the explanation. And, and then we start to live in the, in the real world, so to speak, where, where we replace the wonder and awe of innocence in our childhood with the the worry of having to make ends meet or do the things that we're supposed to be doing. Right. Um, Yeah. I I don't mean to dismiss science whatsoever. And I think that it's phenomenal that, that lately uh, I've been coming across all kinds of wonderful studies, you know, exploring, um, phenomenon that, that I think mainstream science might not, really be open to but it, it's changing i can see it now um and and we'll talk about that more in the end because i know you've been doing some interesting studies um down there in peru um i wanted to move on to uh dietas and relationships and talking about just the relationships that we have with these uh plants um through my own experience um, after, you know, coming back in this dialogue and continuing to grow and learn. And then a friend of mine from Peru started to send me uh, particular medicines. And as soon as I learned about them, I, some of them I felt called to uh, experience and some of them I did not. Um, but uh, one of them was Aho Sasha. And, um, and so I experienced it here in a very different way than it's, uh, traditionally done, usually in isolation and all of those things. And um, so my lessons instead of visions were um, real life circumstances. And it, it was very challenging, but I felt held and, and really supported all the way through it by this, this plant spirit. And um, when I was coming to the end of that dieta, I could tell the medicine was, I didn't have much left and I knew uh, our time was, was almost over and I just got so emotional and, uh, you know, these, these relationships that we have with medicines are, are very real and very intimate and, <laughs> and they're very fulfilling and, and wonderful. If you, if you allow that to happen, I think that's possible for anybody really. Well, that is ultimately 
what makes a healer in the ayahuasca tradition is that the diets that you have um that i use the term dieta as opposed to diet because unfortunately there's been a bit of a confusion about um you know a preparation diet the ayahuasca diet is often referred to and doing a plant dieta right um and so the dietas which is what you were just talking about, like with Ahosacha, which is essentially um, an act of building relationship and deep connection with a particular plant spirit. That's what makes a healer a healer. That's what makes a corandero a corandero because they are using those relationships or they're using their diets to achieve their abilities. So when they open an ayahuasca ceremony, for example, they're calling in all of their diets or all of the plant spirits that they have relationships with to be there with them in this ceremony Mm -hmm. and to help them, to assist them, to guide them, to advise them, to provide insights and information about how best to heal the people in the ceremonies, what can be done and what advice that they can speak to those people to help them make the changes necessary. And all of that work is essentially done through relationships. And the beauty of ayahuasca and other shamanic plant medicines is that the participants, the patients, get to also build those relationships. And the deepening of their own personal relationships also results in a deepening of more understanding in how they can empower themselves to achieve their own healing. And I think that's what most attracted me to the shamanic practices, and especially with ayahuasca, is that I got to do it. And my my own understanding of my own life was the most important information that provided me with the path forward to my own healing, and that I achieved it. You know, I did it. And yes, I would not have been able to do it without the assistance of these plant spirits. And I still would say that ayahuasca healed me, you know, I would still use that language. But the specific experience of it was my own self exploration, my own self discovery, and my own self empowerment to act upon my life and and my, the way that I interpreted and viewed my life, the way I responded to the experiences I had, and to make those changes. And yes, ayahuasca created that amplification of sensory states, my physical state, my emotional state, my mental state were heightened and amplified. And that, of course, made it possible for me to achieve those empowering states. But but it still was me, you know, it was, I was still in control. I, I hadn't given away my freedom or my power to a different person, like a doctor, the way that unfortunately, Western medicine tends to make you do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this has been a whole big learning curve for me. And I was always very uncomfortable with those relationships. Um, and and now I, I think I understand that a little more. And there was something genuine under that. And, and it wasn't like just this rebellious uh, criticism that it, it may have come across as at the time there was something deeper there and and now I get it and now I get why because of the disempowering relationship that that was um, for me anyway I know other people who ha- have better relationships um, and I certainly have had you know good doctors that I've had better relationships with but it was the nature of the medicine itself and how that worked and how it didn't 
And, and now, well, we discover this and we're like, oh, okay, wow, this is possible. This is amazing, you know? Um, but I wanted to get into giving things up. We were talking about this earlier and this is a good discussion to have and you discussed it on uh, one of your videos. Um, and I, I know that we often see, as you pointed out, uh, the restricted diet that we, that we go on in uh, preparation for ayahuasca as, um, as a, a sacrifice. And, and there are things that we have to sacrifice. Um, but some of my experiences, and I know you can relate to this, where um, the, the spiritual um, connections that I have, the spiritual entities I've worked with, have asked me to also give up um, some of the suffering that I was going through, some of the that the habits, you know, and there were times when I had to admit I wasn't ready, you know, some of it. Um, I even do work with, uh, with hypnosis, which just facilitates, you know, journeying on our own and doing the same kind of work extraction, very shamanic stuff. And there are some things that we know are harmful, they're in there. And we're saying, okay, I'm going to give it up, you know, but you know, the mind works in ways to demonstrate to us that we're not ready, we're hanging on to it, or, oh, it can't, you know, leave my body because there's this in the way, etc. Whatever reason we might come up with or visual that gets in the way is, is telling us that we're just not ready. And it can be a process, even, you know, to give up um, stuff that, that we're, that are making, things that are making us suffer and behaviors and attitudes. Um, but I know that the spirits are always there saying, hey, we're ready to take it whenever you're ready to give it up to us. <laughs> right. Well, I think that w when we think about things about sacrifice or things that we're giving up, we tend to think about the things that bring us immediate pleasure. And there's some kind of sneaky stuff in our lives that doesn't bring us immediate pleasure, but still brings us benefit. In fact, the fact that it makes us suffer somehow brings us benefit and in various ways that are more complex and, and more subtle and and perhaps like indirectly um, you know someone that has an affliction that limits their abilities um, perhaps has grown to be able to use that as an explanation for why they can't achieve their goals and and so as long as they have this disability or this limiting factor in their life, then they will always have a perfect reason to relinquish responsibility for whatever it is that they're not achieving that perhaps they would like to be. And of course, then again, there are the most common, I would say, is that you tend to have a higher sense of attention given to you, a, a higher level of sympathy, a higher mm -hmm. level of uh, energy. And, and so if you, you know, if you have that story to tell, then you can kind of gain a little added edge where people will give you more, uh, more sympathy and more attention. Um, but for whatever, I mean, there's so many complexities about it but there's oftentimes there's a benefit involved in having an affliction and and because of that benefit it usually makes it more of a challenge to let it go or to heal it completely 
Right. Even I, I think that, you know, we can say that it's a victory, even discovering those payoffs, you know, just exposing them and exploring them, which is, it can be a very challenging thing to do, but yeah, we do that using hypnosis too. What's the payoff, you know, what it is we're getting out of this. And sometimes it, it takes a while for that to surface, you know, to be ready to reveal itself. But when it does, that's pretty magical too, because then, then you have more options, then it's, it's revealed to you and you can take a look at it and do something about it. It's not hidden anymore. Um, I would love for you to tell the story about um, some of the people that you've experienced on retreats where they actually have literal, you know, financial benefits because they're on disability, um, something I've experienced before too, and, and the challenge of knowing that they could get better and, and making that choice whether or not they're going to do that. Right. Yeah, that was an eye-opener for me to have that first experience, although it's now happened several times. Um, but the first experience where we had a gentleman who was receiving a government stipend, like he was essentially getting paid because he wasn't able to work because of an affliction and had come to our program for the purpose of being healed of that affliction. But he had also tried a number of other things and they hadn't worked. And, you know, as a, a statement about the complexity of one's uh, challenge to let go of something or to actually accept the healing of it, because as he was moving forward with the treatment that we were providing, he was definitely getting healed. I mean, it was clear. Everyone in the group would say almost daily, like, oh my gosh, you're doing so great. Like it, I can see, you know, like the improvement that you're making until it got to towards the end where we would say, you know, a percentage, maybe he was 85% of the way there. He just had this little bit left to go. And he was taking medicine daily that had been specially made for him. And and it was working. I mean, it was clearly working. It was all according to the plan. And then seemingly out of the blue, he just dumped it all out. You know, he said that he was not going to take the medicine anymore and just poured it out of the bottle. And I was like, what the hell are you doing? Like, I don't, how can you, you know, you, you, how could you possibly deny that this was working like it's so obvious and you know it um, but he was jeopardizing his ability to return home and continue to receive financial benefit from having the affliction if he was healthy then he would have to go get a job and he wouldn't have his rent paid for him and he wouldn't just get a check in the mail and having had that been his life for a couple decades i think that he became very worrisome that maybe being healthy wasn't exactly what he wanted yeah. and and that was very hard for me to understand um, yeah. but as i saw it play out a few more times i began to see that that's also part of it and it makes me wonder you know if they continued and worked with the medicine to help them create a new plan for their life you know so that the fear of not being able to return to the old one wasn't too great. Right. Well, interestingly enough, he got home and wrote me a few months later asking if I could send him the medicine. Um, oh, wow. <laughs> so I do feel like he got home and, you know, came to terms with it and was like, what did I do? You know, like, 
did I really like choose to live with an illness for the benefits than to live healthily and have to take responsibility or more responsibility for my own actions in my life. And, and, um, and that's an unfortunate thing that happens to like people. Sometimes people will leave a program early, for example, and almost every single time a person chooses to leave a program early, they end up writing me and saying that they regret that they had made that decision. Yeah. But it's, it's uh, you know, it's all part of it. And in the end, like, we can only do the best that we can. And, and sometimes we're not ready to, yeah. to, to, to do that next step, whatever that might be, whether it's facing a part of our, our lives that's at the root of some of our suffering and we're, we're just not ready to face that yet, or whether it's accepting the fact that we will have to live a different life without the affliction or whatever it may be and everyone just does the best that they can and I think that no matter what the decisions are you have no choice but to accept that that's what happened and just do your best to continue moving forward exactly yeah and and you know it'll just meet us where we're at and and we do have our own free will you know and and that is is active all the time. I remember when I first came back and was asking all of these questions. Um, uh, I've studied uh, philosophy. I noticed that um, on your Facebook profile, it says you have too. And so the, the questioning was just, it was astounding at the beginning. It had to stop actually because <laughs> it got too ridiculous. But, you know, one of these fundamental questions was about our free will and, um, the response I got was, yes, you have free will. You're exercising it all the time, often against yourself, you know? Right. <laughs> that was a big one to contemplate. And of course, all the healing work that we did from that point onward was, you know, with that kind of focus of, of creating our own reality and, and, and how I was contributing to the things that were happening around me. And um, you had mentioned something so interesting in uh, one of your videos about faith and inner environment and about your experiments with LSD and, and deciding that you were going to not be impacted by it and what happened there. And I'd love you to, to talk about that and, and the constructs that, that we have and how powerful it is when we you know, decide what's gonna happen, especially when we approach these medicines because our attitude and our openness or lack thereof has everything to do with what unfolds with the medicines, right? Totally, yeah, I mean, um you know, from the Western paradigm, we tend to look at everything in a very materialistic way. So if we're trying to understand like a medicine, for example, usually it's done through chemistry and biology and, you know, what the chemical reaction is when the substance is ingested and, you know, what part of the body it affects and things of that nature. I'm not a huge fan of that if you couldn't tell by the tone of my voice. <laughs> I I um but the the indigenous paradigm which is what I'll call the the paradigm that I was living in for the last uh 15 years, 16 years down in the Amazon rainforest is doesn't look at it from a physical state. They look at it from a spiritual state. So you'll, you'll never hear an indigenous Corandero talk about the active ingredients in ayahuasca, for example. Um, and, and so they're two very, very different approaches. Philosophically, for me, I look at it all from a spiritual standpoint, except that I 
also recognize the difficulty of using the terminology in spirituality and have people continue to listen to you that come from the Western paradigm. And so to me, the the bridge between that is to use the word consciousness. So ultimately, like from a philosophical standpoint, I would define myself as a monistic idealism, uh, idealist, in the sense that I believe that there is only consciousness and everything is made of consciousness. And consciousness is the root all and all be all. And, and so consciousness is overpowers everything, you know, it is the most powerful force, because it is the force. And so in the example of LSD, I was, you know, as a philosophy major, going through the questions and and wondering, you know, how, what is the mind and what are thoughts and, you know, how, if you change your beliefs, does it change the world? And, and, you know, all of the, the complexities and mysteries that are combined and contained in all of that. And at some point, for some reason, I came to the idea that, LSD did not exist as a chemical, <laughs> that it, it, it existed as a concept. And that if people took a substance they believed to be LSD, that it opened the doors for possibilities. And that's why people had these bizarre experiences because they were just kind of like, unleashing their imagination into their reality and i should state that this this uh, this idea came to me under the influence of lsd <laughs> um but i believed it um you know I, I i like the idea so much as to believe it and so i decided to test it out and took lsd with my friends uh, except that i knew that it didn't exist and sure enough, I proved to myself that nothing happened because nothing happened. I had no effect. My friends who believed that LSD was a substance that they had taken did have the normal effects that you would take when you took LSD. But I had nothing. I was completely sober, which validated my belief. I was correct. Haha, I've proven it. <laughs> and I did it again a second time and again had no effect. And I felt quite confident that I was now accurate. But I was also saddened because I actually enjoyed the LSD experience. And now, for some reason, due to my like brilliance, I had ruined it for myself. And, and so I was then left with a puzzle. How do I realistically believe in a different perspective that will enable me to enjoy having an LSD experience. But to be able, what's that? Did you resolve that? Did you do it again and allow yourself to have that experience? Yeah. Well, the, the, the solution, which I now believe to this day is that LSD is a substance and that without consciousness overriding it, it will produce a certain effect. But our minds are so powerful that we can make that effect disappear. And 
working with ayahuasca is like a great example, especially if you've ever been in a facilitator position where you're taking ayahuasca, but you're also looking out for all the other people in the ceremony. And so there would be times when, you know, I would be in my own experience with ayahuasca, you know, maybe snakes wrapped all around me, like whatever, I'm in another dimension, you know, and then someone in the ceremony says, I need help. And then in the blink of an eye, as soon as I register that a person in the ceremony needs help, and it's my responsibility to go over to them and help them in whatever way I can, then everything disappears. And yeah. I'm, so, I'm just sober. I walk over and I'm sober and I help them. And then when I finish helping them, I go back to my spot and then all of the effects of ayahuasca come back. And, and that to me is a testament just of how powerful our mind is. And, and so that's also what lends itself to the challenges because when you're looking to have an ayahuasca experience, then usually you want to have the effect of ayahuasca play itself out to the most beneficial degree it can. But sometimes your own mind, your own consciousness gets in the way of that. And, and so if you have fear, for example, then your, your fear of the experience can, can make the experience into something very negative, just the way that fear makes almost every experience negative. But it can also make nothing happen. And yeah, if you have 10 people that. drink ayahuasca, they all drink the same amount of the same ayahuasca in the same space at the same time chances are one of them's not going to have anything happen. And on the other end of the spectrum, one person will have the most profound experience of their life and everyone else will be somewhere in the middle. And I have seen that happen so many times and tried so hard to figure that out. And, and that's kind of what led me to the description of inner environment and how we can nourish our inner environments because that to me is ultimately more important than the substance you're taking. Because just as I just described, like your consciousness can decide how the effects of the chemical substance react or how you react to the effects. And that's ultimately what our experience is made of is our response to the experience rather than the experience itself. Yeah, and our ideas about it in advance of you know, and it's like the chicken, the egg thing. I mean, ayahuasca can help us create a better environment, but we have to let it in the door. And, um, but this whole experiment that you had, you know, with the LSD and, and, and demonstrating the power of our free will and our beliefs and all of these things, um, it, it's huge. And it does segue um, into the power of love. I mean, if we approach everything from, you know, the standpoint of love, you know, through the eyes of love and through the lens of love. I mean, this, that would change this world, you know? And I think that that's what the medicines are helping us do if we're, if we're open to it. Well, definitely. I mean, I, I often describe the tradition of ayahuasca healing as love medicine. <laughs> um, so you know, there's, there's a lot of different, there's a spectrum of love. And it's a shame that we, have just one word because there's so many kinds of love um and and we do kind of have a couple words 
but one of the words to me that is particularly important is gratitude and gratitude is a, is a, a universal expression of love in the sense that you are just so thankful for being who you are you know for for getting to exist to to get to do this to get to experience this incredible magical mystery that is life and and that's the benefit of remembering the innocence of our childhood because children realize that they might not express it but they embody it mm-hmm. they're just living this most incredible thing it's so fascinating and i think as long as life remains fascinating for us built into the fascination is an inherent gratitude you know it's hard to like be fascinated by your life and also not be thankful for it <laughs> you know like you're yeah. like my life is so fascinating god damn it and like you know <laughs> You don't, you don't see that very often. And yeah. so by maintaining the innocence and the perspective of awe that we witness in children, which is completely valid and still exists in our own perspective if we allow it, then inherent in that we'll also achieve gratitude. And through that gratitude, we will then see the the growth of the seeds of love in our own lives especially with the way that we view ourselves and the way that we deserve to love our life to love who we are because even with the troubles or the problems that we may have regardless of who we are where we are what our past is it will always be fascinating that we are alive Yeah, and and I don't think that it ever ends here either. In fact, you know, it's it's kind of funny how um, having become involved with hypnosis is um, a means to explore the the whole shamanic world and to do journeying and all the rest of it. There's also past lives, which sometimes, of course, come up in ayahuasca as well, um, and potential, you know, future lives, and. Um, when I'm in a learning phase, you know, I always remind myself, it's like, there's no getting out of it. (laughs) You know, even death, it's like not guaranteed because, you know, there's these other lives and and I've clearly had more of them than one of them. So, you know, this is an ongoing thing. And uh, I think for me, it it helped me to um, appreciate the journey. It's like, accept that this is the journey and it's going to be ongoing. And um, of course the medicines themselves and, all the magic I've experienced and the support and everything have, have helped me to improve um, the gratitude factor, which is which is amazingly powerful. Um, I remember waking up one morning and this dialogue was happening in a very shamanic way. It was before my my mind oriented to the world around me and was still in that great state that we all go into every single night. Um, and uh, it was teaching me about uh, the responsiveness of the world that, that we're living in. Um, and uh, the medicines are great teachers of this. And uh, it was kind of showing me their, their um, message, you know, that were, they were giving off the medicines and it was all colorful and, and, and beautiful and expressive and big. And then they kind of showed me and it was colorful, but, but you know, not, not quite 
glowing out there, you know, and they were like, you can do better than that. It was all very visual and strange, but I got it. I understood what they were saying. And then they started to, uh, and this happened like, I don't know, a few years ago. And then they started to talk about my son. They said, yeah, that message is going out there. And, and your son's picking up on that too. And suddenly the colors were flying and the glowing happened, you know, and they, they know how to motivate us. Right. But we're all sending that message out in the world in just in, in our very, you know, vibrating being, just being, um, there's this, this frequency and this, this energy that we're sending out there into the world. And I think that these medicines are helping us amplify it and, and attune it to love again, if we're, if we're going to let, let that happen, because that is the most powerful, you know, medicine and frequency and, and energy that we can send out there. Definitely. Well, I, you know, it would be wonderful if we could just talk about it and then everyone would just do it. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, th I think that everyone essentially feels a very similar way as what we're talking about, but, but their struggle to achieve it. And it's something that I've, you know, gone through myself. And I think anyone that's ever suffered from depression knows that they don't want to be depressed and they, and it almost hurts to have someone say something like, Oh, you just have to think that you're not depressed, you know, <laughs> some like writing off the experiences. And, and I think that's often like makes them feel worse. It made me feel worse when I was suffering from depression. And, right. and so I've looked a lot at this and also been, you know, so thankful to have been able to, receive so much help through my work with ayahuasca and, and with the plant spirits and the plant medicines of the Amazon. Um, and to me, you know, I, I like I said, I, I look at the world through the lens of consciousness. Um, and I like to find ways to describe things that can help people to be empowered. And one of the ways that I've found to describe the nature of being and understanding the roots of our illnesses and afflictions and also the process of healing them is through relation to the states of matter. And so when you think of states of matter, most people think of water. It's the greatest example where you have the solid state of ice, the liquid state of water and the vapor, uh, the gas state of vapor. And I think that that could be related to the three states of being in uh as the human um the solid state being our body and the liquid state referring to our emotions and the gas state being our minds uh, but within consciousness you can also relate that to the gas state of the mind referring to the realm of ideas and then when those ideas are condensed down to the liquid state of our emotions, which can happen through a heightened mental state and a heightened emotional state, then they turn into beliefs. And then when those beliefs are solidified, they actually come into our body and reside in our body as personal truths. And to achieve that also requires emotional, heightened states of emotion and heightened states, uh, physical states. And, and so in the case of trauma, 
you have a heightened mental, emotional, and physical state. Unfortunately, the heightened state is typically created by fear or in something negative. And in essence, an idea turns into a belief, which then is solidified into a personal truth into our bodies. And it's very, very hard to transform that personal truth back out of the body, back out of our foundation and into the realm of beliefs and ideas so that it can be released unless we also have a matching or overriding state of heightened mental, physical, and emotional states. And, and that's what ayahuasca allows us to achieve. So under the uh, influence of ayahuasca during a ceremony, we experience these heightened states of emotion and thoughts and our physical state, but it's done in such a controlled setting and it's done with love. It's mm -hmm. done with a positive feeling. And, and so in that safe space and, the, and with the overriding of the, our states of matter, we can then empower ourselves to transform detrimental personal truths back into the realm of belief and ideas so that they can literally evaporate. And then we can replace those detrimental personal truths with beneficial personal truths. We can take ideas and beliefs and solidify them into a new foundation of our identity. And that to me is a great way of describing how the healing process takes place. And it also exemplifies why typical Western medical practices don't achieve the results they hope to. Because if you have experienced childhood trauma, for example, the classic method is to then have you just lie on a couch very relaxed and try to talk through those problems. But without having the heightened states, you won't be able to activate the empowering nature of transformation. And, and so you'll just still be stuck with those personal truths as the foundation for your belief system. And so many people are essentially trying to build healthy belief systems on detrimental foundations of personal truths. And they're is where there's so much trouble. Everyone knows they have like a particular trauma that's affecting them, but the trouble is how do I release it? And, and that's where ayahuasca and other psychedelic medicines provide something that Western medicine has yet to grasp, which is the importance of having a controlled setting to replicate and override those heightened states of being that created unhealthy personal truths. And, and so our talk about love, of course, I believe in it, and it has become my own personal truth, but it's also very important to recognize that people are suffering because they have personal truths that they never wanted to have as their foundations, and they struggle to release them. And so I do feel like we now are moving forward in a wonderful way towards recognizing the power of psychedelic therapy and plant medicine and shamanic treatment as ways to release those traumas. And to me, those traumas are at the root of nearly every affliction are these unhealthy personal truths that we struggle with. I agree. Yeah. And I think that um, it also introduces us to this. I mean, I, I, I have had the experience with these medicines where I have to um, 
to come face to face with some of this stuff in order to face it and then agree to let it go. And there are layers, you know, there are layers to this. <laughs> and, and I think that the love, understanding the power of love and, and its effect and its impact is the enticement. You know, it is introduced to us um, to, so that we, and, and we get to feel that state, you know, in ayahuasca at times, that heart opening, that wonderful stuff. Um, and this is our inducement to do the difficult work, you know, sometimes, right? Because it, it's not easy always opening those wounds, but um, yeah, the medicines have amazing ways to work with us. I, I sense them coming from all, all different kinds of angles, you know, <laughs> the carrot, the stick, everything in between. And their versions of that, of course, are, are very different and, and very deep. Um, but I, I've also uh, had experiences of some of this work through even dream work, you know. Um, but I know, again, that this, as you say, higher consciousness, spirit, whatever word people feel comfortable with, um, was working with me to do this. I, I went to bed one night and uh, um, all night long, it was like my focus traveled throughout my body for the purpose of allowing different areas of my body to speak. and. Um, we went through the whole adventure and different areas of my body brought up memories that I, I'd forgotten or didn't think were so important. Um, anyway, this lasted all night long. By morning, I was thinking, oh God, how am I going to face this day and take care of my son and all of this when, when this is going on all night long, right? But to my surprise, as soon as I got up, I actually felt so much better. It was like I had energy that I didn't know was possible to have. And uh, it, it was it was amazing, and it was not an end. It was just introducing me to the kind of work that we're doing and the possibilities. You know, I don't know right. if you've ever had experiences like that, traumatic or otherwise. Yeah, um, it's I, again like I I view everything as consciousness, and I that includes my body, like almost especially my body. Um, and, and, you know, everything. Um, but I think that it would be much more beneficial if the medical community were able to view physical body as a form of consciousness as well, because there would be a much greater uh, motivation to make the connections. Unfortunately, we've like compartmentalized medicine in the West so that if you have a problem with your body, you go to one doctor. And if you have a problem with your emotions, you go to a different doctor. And if you have a problem with your mind, you go to a different doctor. And very often those doctors never even talk to each other, Right. which, which is strange. Um, it seems like we should be smarter than that by now. Um, but Again, thankfully, there are some wonderful advances happening. Uh, yesterday, Santa Cruz, uh, California, decriminalized entheogenic medicines, all natural-based plant medicines that used to be listed as Schedule One substances wow. are now decriminalized <laughs> of the lowest priority in that town. Uh, Oakland did the same thing earlier last year. Yeah. And... Um, Colorado, Denver, Colorado decriminalized just mushrooms, but there is certainly a movement afoot to restore the benefit of plant medicine in, around the country, if not around the world. And that coupled with institutions like St. John, uh, sorry, John Hopkins Institute 
um, declaring that they will be building a psychedelic therapy research center as well as Imperial College in the UK making the same announcement. And so we have two institutions in the UK and the US building psychedelic therapy research centers to study specifically the healing potential of entheogenic plants. And so things are happening and wonderful things are, are happening. I have a lot of hope for the future and I definitely feel that the plant spirits are acting, you know, they're, they're moving and yeah. they're, they're making this happen so that the, the entirety of the organism that we are all a part of can restore its health or her health. Yeah, I agree. They're just bursting onto the healing uh, scene and there's all kinds of interesting different kind of therapies you know cropping up everywhere and we're so individual and what what our needs are are very individual so there's there's I, i'm i'm very hopeful too i'm just loving this uh renaissance that we're seeing this this evolution and um part of it is uh, i should mention this again i know i um did this on a show before that we're we're starting to, um, many of us have joined a collective uh, called Thank You Plant Medicine, and we're helping to destigmatize this uh, whole experience and be able to come out and talk about it, uh, inviting people to do so on uh, February 20th. Just as a beginning, you know, just encouraging um, for those, some people may not be ready, some people may have thought about it and have concerns, and um, there's a very supportive um, community uh, Facebook page. So please look up uh, hashtag thank you plant medicine or uh, uh, TYPM and uh, yeah, and, and think about uh, joining us and coming out with your own stories uh, on February the 20th. Um, I'm going to have to change the date on, on my uh, podcast announcement, but anyway, that's coming up. And also Carlos, you have some interesting uh, um, studies going on. Tell us a, a more about that. That's right. In addition to having uh, major medical institutions announce that they'll be building psychedelic therapy research centers, our organization, the Ayahuasca Foundation, has been hosting. Last year, we hosted our phase one trials, uh, first ever government-funded ayahuasca research project. And so those results of the phase one research have been analyzed and written up and now those results are being reviewed and hopefully will be published in the next few weeks in a number of journals showing just how tremendous the value of ayahuasca treatment specifically uh, can be um, with regard to treating childhood trauma, depression, and anxiety. And the results are really fantastic um, and also very, very interesting. Um, in the sense that people were receiving really, really powerful benefit in a very small amount of time. Um, the studies were led by Simon Ruffle and Nigel Netsband, uh, who are psychiatrists and psychologists from the National Health Services in the UK. And they were, it was them who got the grant from the NHS to do the research. And as psychiatrists and psychologists, they were really um, stunned to see just how much progress could be achieved in such a small amount of time. Literally something that might take years of therapy in the traditional setting was accomplished in days. Wow. Um, 
And so it was fantastic. But luckily, they also did a six-month follow-up with their studies. And even the six-month uh, follow-up, especially with depression, I myself was even surprised at the results of that. They, the rate of depression continued to decline in the six months after the retreat experience itself. So after leaving the retreat, which produced an incredible reduction of the symptoms of depression, in the six months following the retreat, that reduction of depression continued so that after six months, they were even less depressed. Wow. And that to me speaks volumes in the sense that not only is this a lasting effect, but that the changes that occur on a consciousness level or on a deep level, um, depending on how you view it, are changes that you continue to make. You know, you continue to implement those changes. You continue to make improvements in the way that you respond to the experiences of your life. Now, with anxiety, it was more like what I expected, actually, which was that there was a tremendous reduction in symptoms of anxiety, but six months later, there was a slight uptick. That was actually what I would have expected because, of course, like while you're in the, in the jungle and you have no, <laughs> nothing to do, you don't have to go to work, you don't have to you know, have any of the normal day-to-day -day responsibilities or concerns. Um, you know, you you would naturally be in an environment where you're much less anxious. The pace of life is much slower. Everything, you know, contributes to being calm and relaxed. And then going home, that's going to change. Sure. But but even the comparison from the beginning state to the six-month follow-up state was a drastic improvement. So those results were fantastic, as were the results for the childhood trauma. This year, um, we'll be starting the phase two trials, which involved an adjustment of the evaluation process so that we'll be looking at more factors. Um, there'll be chronic pain will be looked at in addition to the um, depression and anxiety. There were also epigenetic studies done last year. And so that will also be expanded. Last year, they were just looking at three markers that were associated with depression and anxiety. This year, they'll be looking at something like 26 different markers. Um, so if, if anyone is um, interested in that research or perhaps collaborating or participating in that research, they can go to the website, ayahuascafoundation.org in the research tab, and they can contact us using the form on that page. And that will go directly to Simon Nige and Wai Feng, who are the three leaders of that research. Um, but yeah, that, that's something that I definitely don't think I imagined 10 years ago when we started the Ayahuasca Foundation that 10 years later, we would be hosting research funded by a government and that there would be a mass movement to decriminalize medicinal plants across the country and the world. So yeah. it's incredible what has happened in the last 10 years. It really and is. I'm really looking forward to the next 10 years because I see this moving in a wonderful direction. It's true. Yeah. And our kids are just growing up in a very different, potentially very different environment. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I'm so excited and uh, I hope we can keep in touch. And I thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, no worries. I love talking about this stuff. So anytime. Me too. And uh, thanks for all the wonderful work you're doing. Thank you. You as well. Thanks for listening to another edition of Ayahuasca Talks. 
Please support this program with a $1 per month contribution by visiting ayahuascatalks.love and clicking on the green Become a Patron button in the upper right-hand corner of the homepage. Patrons will be invited to join our exclusive Ayahuasca Talks Facebook group to keep the conversation going and connect with other listeners. Your support is needed and appreciated. For more ayahuasca integration content, please visit RebeccaHayden.com. And to connect with me directly, please email Rebecca.Hayden at gmail.com.